0: Hello, and welcome to the Church's Radical Reform. My name is Christopher Lamb, and this is a podcast dedicated to exploring the reform process that is taking place inside the Catholic Church. In this episode, I talk to Father Timothy Radcliffe, an English Dominican friar who has taken on a prominent role at the October 2023 Synod gathering in the Vatican. Pope Francis asked Father Timothy to lead the Synod in a retreat and to give a series of reflections throughout the assembly. He has addressed all the controversial topics in his reflections, but has done so in a clever, often funny, and always spiritually mature way. His wise reflections have been one of the highlights of the Synod assembly. Now, Father Timothy was the leader of the Dominicans worldwide and is a popular writer and speaker. He knows the Universal Church and the Vatican intimately. He knows the politics and the tensions. And he offers valuable insights into the process of reform and overcoming division. Well, Timothy Radcliffe, thank you very much for joining me during this Synod of Bishops process in Rome. You started your pre-Synod retreats by saying you were a bit worried uh, or nervous about giving these retreats because you said you're old white Western male. And you're not sure which is worse. <laughs> so, has it been a surprise to you this experience and in, in you know and the positive way that you've your talks have been received? I've been delighted by the positive way the
1: talks have been received. One of the great joys of the synod is that I live and interact with bright young men and women from all over the world. Uh, often lay people and um, I'm at home with them and they're at home with me, I think. It's not an entire surprise, because I've lived in the Dominican Order for, for many years and we are in 107 countries, so in that sense I'm used to what is incarceration. But when I you go and you sit there and you look at these hundreds of participants and you may well expect them to be a little bit suspicious of what is this old white dinosaur to say.
0: But you seem to uh, win them over, and they got the English sense of humour. I think so. Uh,
1: When you look at the press, sometimes I have a little, little glance to see what's going on, and you see some people dead. There was one indignant thing about how I was pushing woke ideology by beginning the retreat in this way, which is just to say that nobody, they have got any sense of humor at all. And I do sometimes whether when we read
0: the Bible, whether we, our eyes and ears are open for humor too. Mm. A sense of humor can be seen as a, a test for holiness. Well, I think certainly not taking yourself too seriously is. Okay. And you've been inside the Synod Hall as a spiritual advisor. You've seen this process then up close. What has been the most remarkable thing uh, for you about what's been going on over the last few weeks? I think to
1: see Roman curial cardinals sitting at tables with young women from Latin America and Asia and listening. Really listening. And I think that that's probably what's most transformative. We have one chap here at uh, Maria Bambina who has worked with saving migrants from the Mediterranean. So he will bring a completely different sort of experience. My impression is that people are opening not just their minds, their hearts, their beings to their fellow Catholics, and also we have our fraternal delegates. And this is more transformative. It's the foundation
0: of any subsequent things that happen. You've got to have the groundwork for the Synod laid before you start dealing with the, the hot topics, is that what you're... I would say even more than that. We all have to be changed
1: to be differently as a church and as individuals before we will know what the changes should be. And the Christian interaction is more fundamentally about transformative of your being than it is of what you say. What you say and what you do comes out of that.
0: You said on the uh, Synod Hall, uh, that you you hope that people have been changed by a story of a of a young uh, woman who had not felt welcomed by the church. She'd taken her own life. She was bisexual. Um, do you feel people are listening to these these stories? And do you think that things need to 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 change when it comes to welcoming Catholics from the LGBTQ plus community?
1: The uh, papal almoner, I don't know what the technical term is, uh, Cardinal Conrad, who is a wonderful man, he had a meeting with the poor, and uh, he said, well, what do you want for the church? And they replied, well, we want to be loved. And I think it's exactly the same, really, with the LGBTQ community. The question always put is, what is the church's teaching going to change? That's not the issue. The issue is, will we love and welcome our our fellow human beings? If we love them and listen to them and make them part of our lives, if there are evolutions to happen, they will happen. But you don't start off by asking what changes have to be made. There are important questions to be asked about can changing evolve, does it alter? Uh, and I think it, we always have to think in terms of the development of dropship, but it's only going to happen in any good, sane, and healthy Catholic way if it springs out of love. And it's very interesting, reading the media reactions. So often, so often, everything that's said is seen in terms of whose side are you on? What are you promoting? So when I said, you know, have we been changed by, by hearing about that young woman's death, a lot of media reporters are saying, as a, as a campaign in favour of, of gay rights, which which is absurd. It's it's allowing an entirely polarized hermeneutic to come in, and actually stop one really listening and
0: seeing what's going on. You mentioned the synod is is a countercultural process because it resists that political polarization, but it it is a bit concerning that that has come into the church in such a strong way, don't you think? I think it always does. I mean. The, uh, our faith is an
1: incarnate faith in uh, God becoming one of us in a particular century, a particular time. Uh, and the church will always find itself immersed in, in contemporary cultures all over the world and all across history. We also have to be countercultural. And always the great debate at any moment is how far are we inculturate, uh, inculturated? And how far are we countercultural? And that's where we'll disagree with each other and that's fine. That's what we have to argue
0: about. Well, what do you say to those who who are fearful of the synod and synod discussions from spiralling out of control in terms of disagreements? Because I know this synod assembly has focused very much on the process, but there's bound to be a time where the we get to the kind of nitty gritty of some of these topics. What do you say to those who are worried about the debates and the disagreements?
1: We're living in a society which is increasingly irrational and where disagreement is conducted by slogan, soundbites. Uh, but we belong, we, we inherit a tradition, Catholicism, which does actually believe in reason. It's one of the doctrines of the first Vatican Council, was a declaration of belief in reason. And as Chesterton said so absolutely beautifully as usual, if you stop believing in God, you begin to believe in everything. And we see a lot of irrationality in our society because people often don't believe in reason anymore. But the church does, and this should act um, as in a healthy way, in helping us to open not just our hearts but our minds so that we, we listen attentively with all our intelligence to what the other person is saying and try to see how, even if we disagree, it bears some tiny seed of truth which we need. So I actually wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't turn out, when we look back, that actually one of the great roles of the Church will be to carry on believing in a reason in its, as Benedict always said so, beautifully, its larger, grander sense, uh, when much of society is losing confidence in it. So, yes, let us venture into unknown territories. Any good conversation does get a bit out of control. If it was entirely controlled, it wouldn't be a conversation, would it? But if it's conducted with sympathy, imagination, and intelligence, it will lead us into truth. But we trust that,
0: because the, the spirit of truth has been pulled us. Of course, the discussions take place with Pope Francis. The Jesuit Pope has called this Synod, and someone has joked, one of my colleagues, that uh, it took the Dominican to explain a Jesuit Pope. How important is, you think, this, this Jesuit idea of discernment in the Synod and is there any danger that it's kind of trying to impose a Jesuit model onto the church? What, what are your thoughts? I don't think so, um, uh, because
1: uh, the Synod is not mainly consisting of Jesuits. I, th- I think discernment is a very important uh, gift, task at art, you might say, in, in this particularly confusing moment of our history. And I think different orders bring different gifts which are all needed. As I mentioned in the retreat, Benedict, St. Benedict, brought a love of seeking consensus. Dominic brought a love of debate itself. St. Catherine of Siena brought uh, a delight in talking about God. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi taught us the art in any good conversation, not taking it itself too seriously. Uh, so Philip Neri brought along with a great art of humour. So I think all sorts of religious orders actually bring different dimensions to what makes a good conversation. And the Cistercians usually make excellent beer, <laughs> which
0: should certainly help us to have a good conversation. The other topic that we've seen come up is the role of women in the church and the need for greater inclusion. Um, we've also heard voices uh, saying that this is not the most important topic or the particular roles are not the most important thing to discuss when it comes to the role of women. Um, but perhaps with your history is master of the Dominican order with Dominican sisters and the religious life having perhaps more of a Um, uh, an inclusion of men and women. Um, What are your impressions about where this discussion is going um, and how to include women into the church? I think it's certainly one of
1: the most important topics the church must face. Um, As you've only got to look around the Synodal Hall, even with the small percentage of women there, to see how much they give and how much we have to receive. We have to be very aware of not imposing a Western feminist agenda on the whole church. Uh, I think that in the recent past, I don't mean just mean the church, I think Westerners have tended to thought that, well, you know, with the fall of the Berlin Wall, collapse of Soviet communism, they're all going to catch up, aren't they, that we are the future. This, I think, is increasingly evidently is not the case. And one of the things that you see emerging, I think particularly with the war in Ukraine, the war of Russia against the Ukrainian people, one of the things to you that has surprised us is that actually not everybody in the world has been immediately sympathetic to the West. And I think we're entering a new moment. You had the the Cold War, confrontation of two power blocks. You have what looked like the end of history with Fukuyama, I think it was called. And now we're entering a new moment, which is, I think, multipolar. And that will require of Westerners, like you and me, a certain humility. So we're only going to discover, I think, the future role of women in the church. If we're attentive, certainly we must be attentive to Western women, but we must be attentive to African women, Asian women, Latin American women, Polish
0: women. Yeah, it's clear from the Synod, and it's something that, that uh, Cardinal Schoenborn, another Dominican mentioned uh, today, that the Synod is showing how Europe is no longer the center of the church. Yes, and we should rejoice in that.
1: Uh, we, I think as Catholics, we should rejoice in a church that is increasingly becoming multipolar. That's going to be far richer. I mean, if you look back um, at the last few masters of the order, the present one's from the Philippines, the previous one, Bruno, was from Martinique in the Caribbean. First time we've had a master who' had an ancestor who was enslaved one before that was Argentina and so what you see is that I think in religious life typically uh Europe is not at the center and we should not lament that we should rejoice that we're a much richer we live a much richer culture than we're used to
0: now, a question about um, the synod at the local level. Um, this event in Rome has been obviously a very rich experience of the synod, but it seems to me that the the, the synod really needs to be taken up at the local level. What would you say to to dioceses or priests or people who want to see this synod take place at their in their parish in their diocese?
1: I think it actually brings us to a rather sensitive point. It's often been stated in the newspapers, uh, among many people, that the priests have not always been the most favorable uh, champions of the synodal process. Uh, And the Pope, Pope Francis, has often condemned clericalism and uh, and seen it as poisonous. And I agree with him on this. I think think clericalism is an awful poison which deforms the church. But if we're really going to get priests and, and even some bishops on board, we really need to evolve a positive, affirmative vision of the priesthood. Instead of always telling priests, oh, you shouldn't be clericalist, we have to think what they should be. I think actually Fratelli Tucci did provide some good indications, some hints about a way forward to a more fraternal understanding of priesthood. But I think the synodal process is only going to take off happily and well if it wins the support of priests throughout the world. And that implies, I think, having a good, positive Understanding of the affirmative vision of the priesthood,
0: and that's where formation must come in because it has been a topic that's come up at the synod. Formation, certainly, formation for us all, for priests.
1: Now, has often been stressed for lay people, for bishops, but I think you, it's it's not. We also have to have the imagination to imagine what the priesthood would look like in this new emerging church and world and we can say what it's not like i'm not sure we said very clearly what it is like
0: well that's the challenge i think in the next years um the, the final question um, is about hope and you devoted one of your talks to that and you also um explained your own recent um health uh, difficulties with cancer and not being able to speak, Um, can you, for the listeners, what what keeps you hopeful and how you you came through that period um, of ill health um, to this synodal moment? How the synod and how you uh, can stay hopeful? I was kept hopeful
1: uh, partly largely by my friends and my brethren. It was an extraordinary amount of of kindness and support, including from the Pope. Uh, When I I came to very briefly in the intensive care and the prior was there and he said, I'm bringing a letter from the Pope. And, And the Pope phoned and it was quite extraordinary that sense of personal kindness that the Pope gave me. The fact, I was writing this book, I discovered that uh, there had been a recurrence of cancer uh, two days after I agreed to write the book. Right. So all of this book was written as I went into the operation, not not for about
0: two months afterwards, because I was entirely capable of doing anything. Uh, Timothy, thank you very much for your time and uh, look forward to uh, any future reflections you've got for the Synod um, and to reading, once again, those meditations. So thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. This is a podcast sponsored by the Centre for Catholic Studies at the University of Durham in partnership with The Tablet. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.